Thanks much for joining Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we are welcomed by Dr. Dhruva Guler, who is going to share an incredible journey about everything, mental health, becoming a doctor, all the things. Thank you so much for being here. Namaste. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you allowing me to share my story uh, and be myself and, you know, inspire others. Absolutely. That's what the show is all about. Just learning what is making it work for people and how other people can take those things and apply it to their own lives, whether they're a patient or a doctor or health system. So with that, you've had a really, really untraditional path to medicine. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, your journey, whatever you feel is most important to where you've gotten to where you are now. Thanks for asking me that. I was born in Juneau, immigrant parents from South India. You know, they live the American dream for me. Um, I appreciate all of those that served our country. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here sitting, being able to talk to you guys, drinking coffee, and for my parents to live the American dream for me. What happens is that I grew up in a household that was, I had intimate relationships with child protective services, adult protective services, the Juno police, and domestic violence shelters. What would happen is that my mom would go on to live with schizophrenia for 27 years. She would be in lockdown and then nine years step down. I would take her out of a psychiatric facility the day after I graduated residency. And then we would live together for the last seven years of her life where I would get to know her. My brother would go on to be dead, alcohol and meth use. Just had a tough time accepting that he was gay. And, and he was dead for 17 days and found um, uh, at the age of 48, my dad would go on to live with narcissistic personality disorder. And, you know, he was gay also, and he just kind of dwelled in that and couldn't control it. He had lost a lot of money in his life. So he just displaced hate. What happens is that I moved to Seattle when I was seven, where my parents divorced. And instead of being bullied, I became a bully. <laughs> So then I was running with gangs, with bloods and crips. And what happened was, was luckily I never did anything violent, but it was stealing. I stole cars and then I went to jail three times. So then what happens is the third time that I'm about to go away, my family from India come and take me to India. Before that, if I would have stuck around, there was, I mean, you remember those guys that were loyal to you, the people that have your back, the people that will beat somebody up for you. These guys were friends. They There's two of them that died. And a couple of years later, one of my friends goes away for methamphetamine and, uh, and al uh, he was selling methamphetamines. <clears throat> that could have been me. That all could have been me because I had no plans of stopping at that time. Then what happens is when I go to India, to be cool in India, you got to study. You know, to be cool in Seattle at the time, <clears throat> you know, you got to being gangs or whatever it is that I was doing for people to accept me. I wanted people to accept me in India too. Never did I care about what was going to happen. I just wanted to study and beat you. So I got seven scholarships into medical school. And when I went to medical school, it's like one big drug. I was like, <clears throat> every <clears throat> in the town that I studied, <clears throat> at bars, at coffee shops, everybody was wearing a lab coat. It's like seven medical colleges. It's like, I'm from Seattle. And you could think of the city that I went to med school in, like Seattle, it's called Mangler. And just like, like five physical therapy schools, like a bunch of homeopathy schools. 
and then dental schools, just like everybody's like a doctor or studying to be some. So I thought the whole world was. So I didn't know any different. All that studying, everything was normal for me. And, you know, with bipolar, you know, you need to have connection with like something intense. Like, and that really helped me. But then what happens is that I come back to the U.S. and I had no idea what it meant to like get into residency, to have a job. I just didn't have mentorship. And at this time, I was broke and I was living with friends. And so then what happens is I'm blessed. I went, I got into residency. I'm blessed to have another drug, like not substances. It's like studying and like being up, you know, for late hours, you know, doing codes. All that is like a high. You know, so then what happens is that I come back home and I'm like, what do I do now? All of a sudden, my emotions are apparent. I don't have anything to do. I was considering doing a PhD or going to do a fellowship, but instead I started drinking, gambling. And then years later, the self-hatred, the low self-esteem and the confidence got to such a point and the people pleasing and me trying to fix my emotions and try to overcome my thoughts, trying to find coping strategies trying to control my mind, God forbid, you know, and trying to be strong all led to resentments, which, which led me to put my hands on things I didn't want to like cigarettes, like alcohol. I was overweight by 60 pounds. I was gambling, filed for bankruptcy. So then what happens is that at work about 15 years later, I have a mental health, I have a full blast episode in front of everybody. Okay. In front of everybody. And then my drug use and my mental health was there for everybody to see. So then I'm blessed because they were like, this dude's trying because, you know, I rap. And during my times of rap, I went from like the curse words that all the rappers talk about to like, oh, well, I hate myself. Oh, well, do I do alcohol? Oh, do I hang out with the wrong people? And I'm just like writing this stuff. I feel like it's like what Tupac says. Um, I feel his hand on my brain. When I write rhymes, I go blind and let the Lord do his thing. You know, so I'm just like writing. I'm not backspacing. I'm not like, oh, let's make that sound better. It's just rhyming and going. So I'm like, okay, all right. So all this stuff is happening. And everybody at work saw these things because, you know, I rap in Seattle. <clears throat> they will come, you know, support me. They're just doing it for fun. So they all helped me. And if it wasn't for them, again, you know, I had resources. People helped me. So I got into rehab. and. About uh, um, two years go by, and I'm just like judging myself. I'm in cognitive behavioral therapy, eye movement desensitization, and I'm in rationally emotive behavioral therapy. I did like two years of dialectical behavioral therapy, and then what happens during this time is that think about <clears throat> think about going to <clears throat> a personal trainer. Like I was going to therapy for one to two times a week at one point, and then two to three times a month on average for about three years. So then what happens is that think about going to therapy like a personal trainer. Like you can't go to a personal trainer and just not do anything. So I started writing and I started writing and writing and writing. If I'm gonna spend one hour to try to figure out where my dog's gonna go, going one hour to therapy, and then going home for one hour after that, going to the gym and all of this, I better like do something about it. So I started diet and exercising my mind. And that's when I came up with this concept called mind hygiene, you know, where I accept my awareness, I communicate my compassion and I embrace your empathy, which I call ACEs. So ACE your life with mind hygiene. 
And what that allows me to do is it allows me to radically accept things. And I just accept it. Look, all of this happened to me when I was younger. Let me accept it. Let me live it. Like Sadhguru says, you know, it's your intelligence. Let it work for you. Some of these things led me to just say, okay, well, I'll forgive myself for some of the things that I did, like as a, you know, like a, a butthead. And let me have empathy for myself because nobody taught me better. I'm going to have compassion for myself because I'm doing something about it. And when I forgive myself, boy, maybe I might be able to forgive somebody else, but let's not go down that path first. Let's not say they all did me wrong. Oh boy, let me see. Why did you do that to me? I did never played victim and I never blamed anybody. I'm like, I need to take accountability for this because like, I want to work. I love seeing patients and keep my job. Okay. <laughs> and I love being a doctor. So I'm like, <clears throat> these are the things that I think were going to help me. So then I forgave myself. I forgave generations. And that allowed me to be in emotional freedom, which I call self-self. So self-self is self-sympathy or self-compassion. Self-E is self-empathy. Self-L is self-love. Self-F is self-forgiveness. What I mean by self-sympathy is self-compassion. Self-empathy is where I don't communicate with myself with resentment or judgment. And I'm earning it. It's not like I'm just making this up. I'm earning it. Self-love is where I believe in my limitations. So I love my limitations and let me take, let me take advantage of it. Like I've been blessed with all of these resources. Like I have multiple, I have like 10 speaking coaches, <laughs> you know, so I have multiple coaches and let me tell you, they all like say the same thing. You know, they all have this theme, you know, there's this theme of being aware, being specific, being mindful, being compassionate. So then I took all of this game that everybody had and then I started applying it to forgive myself and to forgive others. And when I graduated from a fixed to a growth to a beginner's mindset with the beginner's mindset, when I believed in my limitations, I mean, there's no way I, I couldn't chase success away at that point. It was just hard for, if I didn't want it, it was just hard. I had to go back to a fixed mindset and just resent. <laughs> if I want to just be in my place, you know, just let me go back to eating bad, you know, diet and exercise in my mind. So that's kind of, you know, what I did. And with this concept, mind hygiene, I take no risks. I write everything down. So sure, I do talk to people. I do get data and I do get evidence. And I only talk to people who are solution focused now, like speakers. You know, speakers are so rad because they're all like, where, where do I find the solution? So no more hanging out with people that complain. So what I did was I surrounded myself by these people. I took the game from them and then I'll write it down, see what I felt. And, you know, you just write for like 30 seconds, like an hour, <clears throat> like, like this, as an example, like I was doing some writing yesterday, you know, at work, so I'm just like writing stuff and it just becomes like what people call habitual, or I just call like an investment, you know, so I'm writing this stuff and, you know, I'm doing this mind hygiene and I'm doing mind conditioning, you know, I'm just like, well, I ate some sugar over like the last few days, like a lot. So I'm like, let me just mind hygiene my way out of this. And that's what I've done. You know, three days I haven't had sugar. So, I mean, the thing, it never ends. But that's like the best part, though, because you're like, dang, look at how hard I've worked. You know, I mean, I sometimes when I smell cigarettes, I'm like, that smells good. I don't think about alcohol anymore. You know, five and a half years later, I'm sober. I've lost 60 pounds. You know, I have an 800 square credit score, which I would have never, ever thought I would have because I was since I was in 100K debt. 
you know, it's, it's, it's something that touches all of us. And I can't imagine how the childhood you went through and the adulthood you've gone through and the professional life you've gone through, it just, uh, you know, really uh, touches the heart. And then this incredible journey that you're describing. So, you know, there's so much to discuss, but could we, you know, uh, double click a little bit on, on all of these concepts you've brought up of what is the mind hygiene actually look like? You mentioned the example of sugar. Maybe we could use that example. What exactly did you do to mind hygiene your way out of not eating sugar for the last three days? And uh, how does the writing contribute to the mind hygiene? Is it a mind map that you're doing? Could you describe that in a little bit more detail to our, our listeners? So what I want to do here is I want to communicate with empathy with mind hygiene. We're just talking about sugar, but that sugar can translate into all kinds of resentments from implicit biases. Like you have a resentment and, you know, during the day, geez, well, that person said that to me. How about I just go home and forget about it? I'll just drink eat some sugar. I'll get that pizza. It's going to be great. And I'll hang out with that one person and we'll just talk. And I know it's going to happen. So instead of that, let me just create the awareness around it here. You can see, I have like crumble cookies <laughs> and then I have, um, boy, lowrider cookie company. So I have these things in my hand. So I'm writing the simple diagram. I'm creating awareness around it on the inside. I'm hurting. I'm kind of lonely speaking, you know, I'm a professional patient experience and a burnout speaker. And, you know, I work, you know, seeing about 18 patients a day. So let me just give myself, understand what's going on. On the outside, I'm not taking the path of least resistance, um, but I am afraid of rejection. And that sometimes leads me to eat sugar because I'm like, dude, you know what? If they're going to reject me, I'm just going to go eat some lowrider cookie. Okay, <laughs> let me get my hands on that. So then what I want to do is I want to have compassion for myself because uh, like the devil is present. So I wrote that I'm like, sugar is the devil. Get away from me. And if I put the work in and write it, by golly, it might happen. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. So I'm like, you are the devil. You, me being lazy and not writing. And you know, that's the devil hanging out with me. The devil is saying to be lazy, to not do open mics so I can practice for my speaking, um, to not put money into, into charities. So, because it's like, just don't do it as hard. So then I've done that and I want to have empathy for myself. I need to understand that what I'm doing is hard. And sometimes I get unhappy and I do have support, but at the same time, speaking is a very lonely journey and judgment. Um, let me not judge myself because I know how hard I'm trying. And then what I do is I just go back to mind conditioning and then mind training. So you can see here in the practice of mind hygiene, I write down what I'm feeling, just like very simple, nothing too drastic, no, nothing to do with it. Yeah. And then here's mind hygiene, mind conditioning and mind training. Boy, what is, what do I want to train my mind to do? Okay. To go to do calves, uh, uh forward lift, uh, goblet squats, step up and not eat sugar. So that's what I want to do. Like, just like in the next hour, like we don't need to do the next day. We don't need to work out you know, and then here, what I'm talking about Arpur and Stephanie is I'm just going to go do like one goblet squat. I'm just going to run really fast for one second. We're not trying to complicate things. That's when trouble happens. Oh, well, I need to go to the gym for 45 seconds. No, how about you just go to the gym, change your clothes and walk in and leave. Let's see how you feel then. You know, so now you're just tricking your mind, in other words, and you're being present with that. So this is what I want to train my mind to do in the next hour. And what I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to condition my mind which what I call empower aces and disregard faces. And you can find this in a book that I wrote called The Dumb Doctor, which is about an hour and a half read. It's a free ebook where I've elaborated this <clears throat> more. Where 
with this mind hygiene, this kid who wants to go eat sugar, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to accept my awareness. I'm going to communicate my compassion and embrace my empathy. And I'm going to soften the process. Like, I'm not going to make it hard. So you can see here how ACE, like, I'm not going to say this is hard because that's when it becomes trouble. You got to reframe that hard. Empower ACEs and disregard faces, which I haven't written here yet, because I'm only writing this 30 seconds an hour. So this is all compiled for 30 seconds an hour. <laughs> I might write for 45 seconds. I might write for five minutes. Who knows? But that's not the point, though. The point is to put pen on paper for 30 seconds an hour. So then what happens is that I don't want to fix my emotions. Anger is when I don't overcome my thoughts. C is control, cope with, or deal with. E is erase or block. And S is be strong. Because when I try to fix my emotions, try to overcome and be strong, I develop resentments when I can't. <clears throat> and that's when I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go in bed, watch Breaking Bad, lie down. And, I'm, and I, like the, I like the concept of Uber Eats. I want them to come. I want that money and that value seems to be very, like it impresses my mind for some reason. <laughs> So, then so how happens, do you take these these concepts that you have and you've now applied them to two very specific places, working in prisons, which is ironic because you used to have interactions with prisons on the other end. So now you're able to use these techniques to help people there. And then also in India, you said that there's a great need. So how are you able to take these techniques and help them with what they're struggling with? Yeah, thanks for asking me that. It's pretty simple because if I show empathy to myself, I don't talk bad about myself. I don't judge myself. Why would I do that to others? And empathy is where you have a vicarious experience for like 20, 30 seconds. You don't have to like master it. You just sit there and fortunate or unfortunate, I've been through a lot of the same things these guys in the prison have. So I can sit down with them and not judge them. And interestingly, the prison is one of the most compassionate environments I've ever worked in because everybody has a reason, you know, to be there. So that's what allowed me to just accept things and not try to judge them and say, oh, can you look at what they came in with? What they're asking, no. Why are you going to complicate your mind? You're only, you're only disrupting your mind when you judge. You know, you're not healing. You're, if you're judging somebody for 20 seconds, I can't believe you did that. Imagine how much trouble that is for you during the whole day, <laughs> throughout the whole day. So then, you know, now what I want to do is what I'm doing is hard and my mom and my, my mom, my dad, my brother, and me, we've all like lived with mental illness and substance use. I want to bring that awareness in India. So each time I speak, I donate 10% to foundations for people that I actually went to med school with <clears throat> who have started uh, outreach initiatives in like smaller places. And India is becoming big on like the accepting the anxiety and the therapy. So they're real, especially Bangalore, where my family's from in South India, they're very inclined to say, I need therapy now, which was like unheard of when I was there in med school. So, you know, I want to bring that attention. I do some speaking there. I can, I can speak fluent Kannada. So I'll speak to some small town folks and I'm just really quickly, look, this is what happened to me. Look at where I am right now. Thank you for explaining that process in detail. Uh, one other piece of that that I would like to really draw out is that, you know, through your journey, you kind of mentioned coming to the empathy, acceptance, compassion part, uh, which I presume is a result of so much of the therapy and support that you got from people. But I'd really like to understand specifically, I mean, everybody understands that they should have self-compassion and empathy, but they're not able to get there. 
So what is preventing other people from having that compassion? Is it simply writing it out and, and seeing it? Or was there something else that you went through over the course of your own personal transformation that allowed you to come to that place where you could be uh, empathetic with yourself? Yeah, two things is that one thing I'm blessed to have gas money, a car, and to be able to see a therapist. The next thing I'm blessed with is the ability to write. So I'm like, why shouldn't I use this? So that was really the number one thing. And this took me like two years to come up with these concepts. I was single for four years. So that was just gaining awareness. So it just doesn't come like that. And you know, there's things, I have boards in my room where I write multiple times. It's like working out every day. You got to do it if you want to lose weight. You know, I lost 60 pounds. I'm going to lose, try to lose five pounds for the rest of my life. But at least I'm not going to be able to, you know, I'm not going to get back to that place ever again. <clears throat> the same thing with judgment and resentment. I understand that I have compassion for myself because I'm taking time to do this. And I have empathy for myself because nobody taught me better, but I'm taking action on it. Like I'm not just sitting around and the action can be hourly if I need to, or it can be weekly. You know, once you train your mind enough for, I'm just training my mind for sugar right now. But what I did was I trained my mind for alcohol, drugs, self-hatred, low self-esteem, low confidence. You know, <clears throat> the one thing that I recommend to people is to write, not talk. Don't hang out with people who complain. That's it. If you're going to be alone, you got to be alone. You know, you have to find people that are solution focused, at least one person that's at your level, one person that's a little ahead of you, and then people like yourselves who are like, you know, at that OG level, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> where you're like, man, if they can do it, if Apoor and Stephanie can do this, by golly, I can at least inspire from them. I may not. Yeah. So it's that's very kind, kind of, of you to put us in that category. But, agreed. You know, I would say we're inspired by you, my friend. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. This was really fantastic. It's certainly one that we have not heard before. And it's really amazing to hear how you really can transform. And it, it doesn't matter what has happened. There's always a new opportunity and a way to make a way. And thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Okay. Namaste. Thank you. Thank you for being here.